Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Today's going to be a really great episode. Today's guest has been featured in Forbes and Huffington Post, considers herself very detail-oriented and well-organized, and is currently the manager, Gas Transformation Change Office at National Grid. Please welcome Shelby Metzel. Hello, Shelby. Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you for joining. I'm really excited to have the conversation with you today. And we're going to start off as we always do with the question about deskless workers. What do you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today? So I would say the biggest challenge I see facing the, de the deskless workers today is really around um, being able to reach them with communications. Um, they, you know, not being at a desk all day, they're not sitting there waiting for communications and, and reading them right as they come into their inbox. Um, they have to oftentimes go and specifically find an email communication that they may be looking for um, that may have been referenced to them. So I would say one area where we do find trouble with communicating to the field force is just being able to reach them where they're at. And we've, we've tried to work um, creatively and being able to communicate effectively with them about what any changes are or just anything that they need to know for for their their work that they do um so we've we've tried a few different means of communication but i would say that is is one of the top things that i think um we do have some trouble in just being able to effectively communicate with them um about whatever it is that they may need to know would you say that that has changed at all for the better or worse throughout the pandemic over the last year and a half or so, or would you say that that was a challenge that existed even prior to March of 2020? It was definitely, it definitely existed prior to March of 2020. Um, I would say maybe it's gotten a little bit better now that people are so focused on, um, you know, not being face-to-face -face and not being able to rely on in-person meetings and having to really find people with Zoom and, and Teams meetings and email communication. So I think it has maybe gotten a little bit better in that they do have to, you know, look in other places to find communications and be able to um, get up to speed with what's going on and just knowing that, you know, maybe not everyone is in the office where in the past we, we all were. Um, so I think it, it maybe has improved a bit, but still they're out, they're out in the field day after day not not really focused on um you know communications that are coming into their inbox so i i still do find it to be a challenge yeah okay that's good i i want to come back and, and spend a little bit more time on that but before we we come back to that i'd really like uh for me and the audience to get a chance to know you a little bit better so I really like to dig in and and want to really give you the option to decide how far you want to go back. But I mean, I'd really love to hear a little bit about, you know, your schooling and, and kind of work us up through how you ended up in the role at National Grid that you have today. Sure. Yes. So I, I started at National Grid right out of undergrad. Um, so right after college, it was my first, you know, real job outside of just an internship. Um, and I started in the community and customer department working in our Rhode Island business, um, supporting a lot of our storm restoration efforts and, and meeting with town and, and city administrators to determine, you know, what their, their priorities are in, in the event of an outage, um, things like that. So also working closely with our municipalities on our emergency preparedness. Um, it was a really, a really interesting role and an eye-opening role for me um, and it's it's really a role that I actually reflect a lot back on often because it really gave me the opportunity to work a lot with both um, you know understanding 
internally, the different departments that I, that I relied on and worked with, but also externally as well, working with first responders, police and fire, um, and just aligning on messaging and, and what our, our first steps are in the event of an emergency. Um, so it was, it was a really great first role of the company. Um, and I really, I really loved that role. Um, at the same time, so I, I majored in college in communications, and then I, I went to grad school while I was um, working for communication management. So I was really interested in getting toward closer to our communications department at the company. Um, so I, I started seeking out opportunities within our more corporate um, sector of the company. So I I did end up moving to corporate affairs. Um, and I spent about five years in corporate affairs with a few different, a few different roles. Um, some of them being, I, I wrote our internal communications for our leadership team. Um, I wrote email communications that would go out to all of our employees. So it kind of brings us back to that first initial question too around um, communicating. But additionally, I, I did some, some media as well. Um, and I, I really also loved my time in communications. Um, it was also very eye-opening to me. You know, I would be writing about all of these really amazing stories that people in the field were doing. Um, and I just, some of them, I just couldn't believe that all this was happening under our same umbrella. You know, there's, there's so much to the company that I just, I couldn't really believe it. And I, I really wanted to learn more about what specifically our field force does. Um, and that is what brought me to where I am today in the, the department that I'm in today of the Gas Transformation Office. Um, so I started working on a program called Gas Business Enablement. And the, the purpose really of me moving to that, to that program was because I, I was writing all these amazing stories about what the field was doing, but I never really felt very connected to it in that I really truly knew all that, all that it entailed. Um, so I really wanted to get closer to what I thought was really the heart of our business. And that is to me, the field force. So um, that's when I made the, the move to, to gas business enablement, started to learn more about what our field force does on a, on a daily basis. So it looks like you had a role that started in around 2018 that was the program manager of that group. Are you still in that group today? Is that the same group, uh, just a new position, essentially? It is. It is the same group. Um, it's now under a different umbrella, really. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. But your responsibilities are largely the same as, yes. as you were describing before. Yes. So it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, sometimes we've interviewed folks that when I look at their, their schooling, as compared with the job they have today, it's like, okay, you're going to have to really explain, you know, that point to point connection here. But mm -hmm. in your case, you know, your degree has communications in it. Almost every role, as I looked at your LinkedIn profile has communications in it. When I asked you what you thought was the biggest problem facing the deskless workforce today, you said <laughs> communications. So um, I'm starting to see a, a common thread here. And, and I really think that's what's made this um, change management series that we've been doing here on the podcast really so eye-opening to me is that it's really communication is, at least from what I can tell from talking to the other professionals, really the key component to change. It's not necessarily about the mechanics as much as it is about the expectation setting and how we're, we're communicating with those folks. So, I mean, just help us understand how is your background in communication? Like, how is that changing how you choose to use communications as, as an enabling force for change? It's a great question. I, I see communication as really a foundation of change because if you go back to really what communication is about and, and really the purpose of needing to know your audience, I think that is key for change management because you do have to tailor your messaging depending on who the audience is for it to really resonate and be able to stick. Um, additionally, in communications, we know that repetition is key as well. You know, it, we don't expect to go and deliver a message to our field force and then that be it 
and have them fully understand that and be able to apply that. We need to, you know, have a, a plan and an approach to be able to talk with them multiple times before making a change, before um, expecting them to be able to execute on, on what a, that change is, or in, in my case, what, what the solution that they're receiving is. So I think that it really does come back to communications a lot of the time and just being able to communicate effectively, keep everyone informed so that they have your trust um, and just being able to, to keep those open lines of communication so that you can receive their feedback and better tailor the messaging to fit the needs of your audience. In terms of feedback, I'm curious, so you believe when I asked you about what you think is the biggest challenge facing the workforce, we talked about communication. Um, I'd be curious, what do you think if, if you were to flip that around and we were to go ask some of the men and women that represent that deskless workforce in your organization, what would they say is their biggest challenge? Would they agree that it's communication or is there some other way that maybe they would perceive the challenge? Yeah, that's, that's a, a great question as well. So I, I don't think that their first response would be communication. Um, I think for them, it's actually a bit more tactical. I think they might mention something in their workspace or their field, like their, the office they report to each day um, as something that could be improved for them. I don't think that they do see the bigger picture of, you know, we're not being communicated effectively. I don't think that would be their, their feedback. Um, I do think it would be more focused on the work that they do Every the day. tools, the tools, exactly. the trucks, yep. the, the, the hours, the work order mm -hmm. management that we're dealing with, right? Some of the things right. like that. Yeah. Well, one thing that some other folks have said, and I'd like to just get your take on it, is um, they feel that sometimes the deskless workforce feels like they're not being heard. And I, I'm curious with your strength in communication, if, if you feel like there's some way perhaps to facilitate better uh, communication from the field back to others. And, and you talked about feedback from them as, as one of those key things. You've already mentioned that. So any practices, best practices you can share in terms of how we can all do a better job of, of soliciting feedback, opening up the line of communications, not you know from corporate to the frontline workers, but in this case, the exact opposite of that, the reverse. Right. So I would say if, if we could just take their feedback from any form that we're able to get that from, whether it's a, a survey, live feedback, you know, anything that they're requesting more info on, or just like, like we talked about a tool, if it's a tool that they need um, refreshed or, or just, a, you know, whatever it is that they're asking for. And if we have the ability to, to deliver that for them, doing the best we can to meet them where, where they need to be. Um, because I do think if, if we were able to take their feedback or their, their suggestions and deliver, then they would be more receptive to you know, anything else that we, we bring to them in terms of communication or in terms of what they need to know for their role um, and being able to, to deliver that as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good. I've, I've always been an advocate for getting out in the field uh, you know, I've always been around organizations that have a disproportionate number of frontline workers, many of them very, um, you know, remote mobile uh, workforces and, and just getting outside to hear what they have to say, to see the environment that they work in. When we then come back and sit in a comfortable air conditioned conference room, it just gives us so much better perspective about the things that we're building and the things that we're trying to implement with them. And um, so I, I do think it's, it's encouraging on these podcasts to hear the amount of folks that have been talking about really opening up that communication. Sometimes that means being physically there. Sometimes, as you just described, it just means uh, having a mechanism and really paying attention to the feedback. I mean, it's, it's one thing, and I think this is really what you're saying, right? It's one thing to have the communication, but it's another to actually do something with it, to acknowledge it, to digest it, and to turn it back into something that's actionable. I feel like that's a big part of what you're really describing here. Right. And one, one story that I heard as well um, that stuck with me is, you know, one of our, one of our leaders was out in the field um, delivering communication and, and doing a town hall type meeting with, with our field force. And at the end, they asked, you know, does anyone have any questions, any feedback, um, really trying to engage with them. And 
um, one gentleman, you know, raised his hand and he said, well, something that we could really use here is a, a, a picnic table to eat lunch outside. Like just that really stuck with me because, you know, it's, it sounds and seems like such a small thing, but it's something that would make a big difference to them. And if we're able to, you know, deliver on something like that, um, that would make their work environment more comfortable for them um, to be able to sit together and collaborate and eat lunch together, um, then I think they would, you know, return that and be more receptive to, to any messaging that, that we need to deliver to them and, and the work that they do. That's fantastic. Well, you, you mentioned uh, trust earlier too. And I think that's just, you know, opening up that line of communication, hearing things like that, uh, hopefully the, the leader that was, um, you know, communicating took that feedback, you know, in a positive way, maybe, or maybe not, you were able to actually, you know, move forward with the picnic table, but just, um, you know, being able to accept that feedback and, and turn it into building a relationship with the men and women in the field, right? Rather than it just being, you know, like you said, emails going back and forth that don't really mean anything. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Well, let's, I, I am curious, um, in, in an organization like yours, we, we touched on this a little bit about the, the impact of the pandemic and how it's changed. And I, I was asking you just a, a little bit about the change in communication since before and after. I'd like to just go back to that a little bit so we can, um, you know, just dive a little deeper. I, what I've noticed, and I think you were kind of alluding to this, is that I think we've all become more open to video conferencing and to other forms of communications. Uh, many companies have implemented Microsoft Teams, even all the way out to their frontline workers. So just curious about maybe some of the changes that you've seen and how that's actually impacted how you're handling your change strategies and tactics. Absolutely. So 2020, I know, is a, a challenging year for the whole world. Um, and it's our, our, our company was, you know, no, no different. We also had a challenge ahead of us and had to quickly navigate that with our field force and all of our employees. Um, one area in, in our change management. So we had a major release planned for April, 2020. Um, and of course, just given the, the state of the world, um, we had to shift our timing a bit with that as we had, as we had all these planned trainings, they were gonna be in person. Um, we had a whole, a whole plan for our post-go live support. Um, all of that was dependent on face-to-face. -face. So we as a program had to quickly pivot and, and come up with a plan on how, to, how can we move forward um, by still supporting our stakeholders best, still being able to deliver for our customers safely and effectively. Um, but also how do we deliver this, this release without having the option to be in-person for training and in-person for post-go-live support? Um, so we did have to move toward a lot of virtual training, which before 2020, I don't think really would have been very acceptable uh, for our program to make that decision. I think we, you know, our field force being in the office and having to still come into the office throughout that COVID period, um, you know, they still they still had to be there. So we as a program where we had a lot of um, restrictions on how many people could be in a room together and what that would look like if people were face-to-face, -face, um, we had to pivot and, and move toward a lot of virtual trainings, training sessions. So we did do that. Um, but that being said, of course, we had to take into consideration that for the field force especially, they're not on Teams meetings or Zoom calls often. They're not necessarily familiar with how that even goes of logging into a Zoom call, um, going on mute, coming off mute, raising your hand and to you know get the instructor's attention. Um, so we actually held what we called our technology checks um, ahead of our training sessions so that we could familiarize our field force with how to do all these things before they came into a training session so that they're not you know, navigating all that for the very first time, right at training when they have to spend a few hours learning this new solution. We wanted them to be able to, to join training fresh with a, a fresh mind to be able to absorb all of this information they're getting. So we set up those tech checks um, just ahead of our training sessions to really just help familiarize them with, um, with what that looks like. 
I think that's the technology checks are a fantastic idea. And if you saw me smiling when you were talking about, you know, training them on how to go off and on mute, there's a lot of corporate workers around the globe that have been doing video conferencing for years and still can't figure that problem out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You hear that all the time. <laughs> I'm wondering if we should be instituting technology checks for all workers across an enterprise, not just for the men and women on the front line. So that's maybe right. a best practice we can take and, and deploy entirely. But I, I think that's a, actually a great example. And it, it speaks to a lot of what I spend a lot of my time thinking about is using technology as a way to deliver information about technology, right? And there are some potential hiccups there, right? Because if we're teaching people, uh, you know, how to use video conferencing so that we can now deliver training on how to use other software or implement other changes in the business, you know, we're stacking a lot of changes together. And we do have to take into account that everybody isn't at the same baseline in terms of their understanding of using these tools. So I definitely think as a society, we've, we've come far ahead. A lot more people are using FaceTime and getting more comfortable seeing their face on, you know, on a video conference and all that kind of stuff and seeing their colleagues. Um, but there is still some, you know, kind of base level understanding that everybody has to have to be successful. And it's, it's great to hear the, the way that you step back to cover that. I think that's awesome. Great. Yeah, Thank that's you. really good. So improved communications. Are you using other technology other than things like Teams? Um, are there any other technologies that you have um, implemented, not for business purposes, but for the purposes of supporting change in communication? Are there any other nuggets that we can uh, draw from there of maybe other things that you guys have done? So with in terms of change management, um, we do have a few different channels to communicate with the field force and with all of our employees, really. Yep. Um, so we use we do use email often, um, but we also use what we call Yammer, which mm -hmm. is a, a channel where we can post updates and make things a little more um, personal. We can tag people in those. Um, so Yammer is used across our organization for, for that. Um, additionally, we have we set up some Teams channels so that it's more of like a chat room rather than um, a video call, for instance. Nice. So there's a few different options that we use during post-go live support as ways to, to um, help people and, and a channel for them to ask questions or get the support that they need. We also, we use what we call a hybrid approach now for training and post-go live support. So you have some people on site being able to um, help one-on-one -on -one and just be a resource to ask any questions to, as well as an open Teams line. So if you have a question throughout the day, you can just call right into the Teams line to ask your question or get the help and support that you need. Um, we also provide some resources that are more self-guided. So our trainings, we record those so that we can send those out as people so people can reference as well as um, what we call our quick reference guides and our eBooks. Our eBooks are really built of, of a bunch of quick reference guides on, it shows step-by-step -step of functionality with a screenshot on how to do pretty much all the functionality that they're getting. Um, so those are able to just, you know, resort back to and refer back to the QRGs with any questions that they have as well. Yeah. All the things you just talked about are near and dear to my heart with, you know, what we do in, in our business during the day. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, are there any tips that, that you can offer about, um, you know, you talked about self-guided training in the forms of video content and things like that. What lessons have, have you and your team learned about kind of what works, what doesn't work, maybe things that you want to continue to do and those that you don't want to do again? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. So it's been a it's been a journey. The the program um, has been going on for a few years now. We've had, or we're about to have our our third major release. Um, so of course we've built a lot of lessons learned into each release as we've gone. Um, so I would say one of the one of the first lessons learned that we were able to build into our second major release was just around. Um, the materials that we build and how we build them. So a lot of our materials initially, when we kicked off, um, were very PowerPoint focused and a lot of screenshots. Yeah. Um, we quickly learned that, you know, that might not be the best, the best um, way to, to train our field force in a way that it resonates with them. Um, so we have 
navigated more toward um, an approach that we call our tell it, show it, do it approach. And what that looks like is, yes, we still do have some slides um, to really our tell it section will talk through, you know, an overview of, of what the change is, what this means for you and your teams and your role. Um, and then we'll talk through the functionality and the solutions that they'll be receiving. The show it section, our trainer will go into a live demo in our train environments and talk through step-by-step step what they're doing, um, each click by click and explaining the, the whole way through. Um, and then that brings us to the third final section um, that we call our do it section. And that is where we then hand some credentials over to our learners for them to log into the train environment themselves and walk through some scenarios that were pre-built, um, built with their help as well. So they would be real live scenarios, something that what they might run into on a daily basis um, that they should be familiar with and, and using that to then walk piece of that, walk through that functionality that they were just taught so that they know how to apply what they're learning to what their role is today. Um, so we use our train environment for all of that so that they can click through without having to, you know, feel like they're they're gonna mess up any data. It's all it's all just dummy data that's in there. So they can feel free to just click through and, and really get hands-on and ask any questions that they have along the way. That's amazing. It sounds like you guys really put a lot of thought and probably a lot of work into making that learning experience, you know, very solid for the user. Yes. Yes. We have put a lot of thought and work into just the training approach as well as all that goes into it too, with the environments and the data and all of that. Any disadvantages to, that you can think of to the approach that you just described for us? Um, I would say something that we continuously work through is just making sure our training environments are in a good place. Um, our training how, how do you describe that? Yeah, how would you yeah. describe it being in a good place? So we wanna make sure that the data is loaded in there so that it looks reflective of real data. So I know I said it, it is dummy data, so it's, it's all fake data, but we want it to be reflective of what they, or as close as we can to what they will see once we go live. Um, so some things that are there, you know, having actual names for our technicians, like, like not their actual names, but right. um, like what a name would look like instead of just jumbled letters, um, making sure that the cities and towns that we are using are actual cities and towns and the areas where we live and work and the communities that we serve. Um, just trying to really make the environments as reflective of the real environments as we can. Um, so that once we go live, they will, get into the solutions and, and it should feel familiar to them. Like it's not the first time that they're in these solutions. They should have felt that, you know, okay, I've, I've done this before. I've been through this piece of functionality. I remember this. Um, so. What kind of feedback do you get from the users on this approach? We've gotten some really good feedback, um, especially on the do it section. Yeah. They really want to get hands on. Um, I would think if, if we could, they would want it to be fully hands-on, the whole training class, um, which we do try to make that a heavy focus of it, but we also still wanna talk through, you know, the tell it section of making sure they understand the big picture and, and where, where all of the solutions fit into their roles and also dependencies of theirs and how that all works. Um, so we do still stick to the tell it, show it, do it, but they really appreciate the emphasis on the do it. They wanna get hands-on. They want to get hands-on as soon as they can. Um, and the instructor-led training, which is what I'm talking through now at the Tell It, Show It, Do It, it is not the first time that they're hearing from us or seeing the solutions. We have about a three to four month engagement plan ahead of them even coming into the classroom so that we can start what we call drip feed learning and just delivering them small pieces of information over a course of time so that they understand what what the program is and why why it's happening, um, as well as then getting into the change. So what the change impact assessment tells us that they're moving from this to this, and they're gonna be using these solutions in the future for these capabilities and starting to really communicate that with them and showing them some demos, um, some, some modules that just walk them through a quick demo or, um, some gamification around terminology, what 
what some vocabulary that they use today might look like in the future. So um, going into training, they should already be familiar with the solutions that they're going to be trained on. So something that you said, it sounds so obvious, and I, I don't say that to diminish the value of your comment. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When you talk about communicating in advance, and, and you talked about having a three to four month communication plan prior to, to even actually going down this path. I mean, of course, it sounds so obvious when you say it, and, and yet we see it actually happen very rarely, right? And it seems like it would be such a relatively easy thing to implement that doesn't cost a fortune, but to start setting expectations early and often way ahead of, of when that change is actually taking place. Because I've, I've come to realize, you know, through this process that it's uh, the technology can be very intimidating for, for a lot of the men and women on the front line. And if we drop a bomb on them in the last minute and they've already got 20 other work orders that they've got to get done this week or this day or whatever the case, like they've already got their other workload to handle. And now we're dropping this change on them with very little notice. Uh, I'm guilty of this. I don't adapt to change very well with short notice. So why would we expect anyone else in the organization to, to do that too? So I know that's probably not the most complicated part of your change plan, but it's actually probably one of the most meaningful things to really uh, begin to have a positive impact from the first time you start communicating with that. Right. Yeah. So when you talk about the the drip feed learning, is that essentially kind of one in the same with the, the three to four month communication plan? Is that what you're saying? And, and what tools are you using for that? Is that literally just emails or putting up signs in, in break rooms and things like that? Like what methods are you using for that? Yeah, so it is, so the drip feed learning portion of the program is that like three to four months ahead of training, just okay. beginning to upskill them on what's changing. And depending on which work stream, so which area um, we're talking about, and it, we, have, we have really navigated our drip feed learning plans to specific work streams. So we have them broken out in different areas, but what that looks like for some, just to talk through a few examples of, of what that is. Um, so we will have supervisor upskilling sessions where we'll meet with supervisors um, dependent on the work stream weekly, bi-weekly to walk them through functionality and really make sure that they're feeling confident about what the change is and being able to communicate with their teams effectively and answer questions for their teams. Um, we really want the supervisors to to really play a big role in making sure their teams feel comfortable and that they are able to lead um, by example there and, and knowing the solutions really well ahead of training. Um, additionally, we do use email um, for some drip feed communications. So we'll send out a module um, that will ask the, the learners to, to log in and just um, walk through some gamification that we'll set up for them. So. Um, we might have kind of like matching tiles where you flip a tile over and it's a, a word and you have to match it to, you know, what that, that word might mean as term, as far as functionality and the solution. Um, additionally, some other means of drip feed learning is we'll be in person. We'll go in person and do some info sessions, some just introductions to the program, um, what's changing. We'll bring iPads in and, and be able to get them hands-on with the iPads, um, learning about iPad functionality. You know, we try not to assume that everyone has an, an, a device, an iPhone or an iPad already. So we'll cover, you know, how to, how to navigate an iPhone with them. Um, we'll use that as part of drip feed learning so that in training, they're comfortable already with their devices that they're getting. So we do, um, we build out our plan for drip feed learning and, and we do tailor it to the work stream um, depending on where they're at. With all the things that you just said, wrapping up with the part about um, learning about iPad functionality, we've often said, you know, hands-on workers benefit from hands-on training. And, and what we mean by that is that many frontline workers are optimized for learning by doing. And that's probably true of, of all humans, right? We know the learning period pyramid and, um, you know, we all certainly have benefits, but, but these folks in particular, you know, you can't learn how to hook up a gas meter or an electric transformer just through e-learning. At some point you really need to, to do those kinds of things, right? So to have that hands-on experience and to interact with the real world seems to be such a, a powerful learning methodology. 
And, uh, and you've just talked about that as, as a series of great examples here and how you're implementing that in your team. That's fantastic. What are some of the lessons learned maybe from, from all that you just described? This sounds like a very, very comprehensive plan. So I just, I commend you guys on, on how thoughtful you've been about putting all this plan in place. Are there any other lessons learned that you can share with us of, of maybe things that you want to tweak going forward? So one lesson learned that um, we, we learned at our, our last major release is the need for continuous learning. So we have this drip feed learning phase and then we go into instructor-led training and then we go live and we have a full post-go-live support model as well. But we're also learning that we need to also embed some continuous learning into our post-go-live support structure. So if we think about the field force and the different work streams that we're going live with, not everything or maybe not everything needs to be applied on day one, week one, month one. If there are smaller pieces of the process or of functionality that they may use sometimes, but isn't critical to their role, and it's really more of like a, a good to know than a need to know, then maybe that's something that we pull out of training and we instead embed that into our continuous learning and post-go-live support um, area because they are learning so much right up front. And we, we really wanna drive home what they need to know for day one, week one, month one for their role. Um, and then anything that you know they might not need to know, but is helpful or, or good to know, or just a, a best practice, um, we can continue building on that. And we can continue the relationship and the ongoing communication with them and build that into a plan for once they're already live, and familiar with the solutions and feeling comfortable with the new tools that they received, then we can build upon that. That's a absolutely fantastic answer. And it speaks to, there, there are a handful of things that I've learned from talking with the, the change management professionals we've had on the podcast. Um, you know, obviously, you know, communication is a heavy part of that, but, but the other big thing that stands out in my mind is change saturation, how much change we're subjecting all of the people to involved in this. And, and you just brought that down to kind of a micro level, right? Which is to say, even just within this program, within the training, within this program, do we need, if there's 75 different transaction types that these folks need to learn over time, do they need to learn all 75 transactions now? Or can we just bring that down to the 30 that everybody's going to need to use every day right out of the gate and then build on that? And I absolutely love that example. Uh, a, a lot of times what we've, we've talked about is, um, you know, there's uh, folks that have implemented all 75 and just in my hypothetical example here, implemented 75, and then there's some sort of plan later to recover when people have forgotten some of those steps. Um, but I like the way that you're actually uh, reducing the scope of the initial training first. And I think what that would do for the people, <clears throat> excuse me, is really build on their success rather than put them into a situation where they're struggling or failing with those other transactions, right? So you can allow them to be successful, encourage them, help them be successful right out of the gate, and then continue to build on those proficiencies over time. I think that's really an amazing approach. Awesome. Great. Yeah, that's good stuff. Okay. I mean, this is a little bit, um, I, I'm, so another thing that I've learned from change management professionals over the last 10 or 15 episodes now is Many of you are put into a position, position where you have to evangelize the need for and the value of a change management strategy. Different organizations seem to be embracing this, that they are at a different level in their evolution about how much they're embracing this as a strategy. I'm curious if there are is something or a few things that you wish leadership Generally, not asking you to point out people inside your company necessarily, but what do you think leadership, generally speaking, needs to understand more about change management that they're maybe not thinking of completely today? So I really do think that our leadership has a great sense of change management and the need for it, especially in our, our field. Um, the the purpose of our program came from our senior leadership because they, they were walking around the field and noticed the struggles that people were having with the technology and the tools that they had today. Um, 
our company is built from several legacy companies who all kept their their legacy processes and their legacy tools. So as a company, we had just so many different um, solutions that people were using and each jurisdiction had a different way of doing things. So across the board though, we were finding that they're struggling. The tools are taking too long to start up. They don't talk with one another. Some tools didn't have the ability to get updated. So each kind of just had to go with the flow, whatever it was today. Um, so in, in doing some site visits, our leadership really determined we need, to, we need to update our tools and solutions so that one, we work as one team and we, one company, and we all can, you know, push toward the same goal of delivering safely and, and effectively for our customers. Um, and additionally, I would say they, they saw the need for, for really enabling our field force to be able to use tools um, and have access to data quickly and just being able to, you know, safely work and, and be out in the field and know that the tools that they had were going to set them up for success. So I think that the change approach really, it really did come from leadership to say, you know, our field force is working really hard every day, delivering for our customers, daytime, nighttime, and all the crazy weather that we have. And let's really, let's, let's really work toward getting them into a place where they're able to use these tools and solutions that work for them, as well as taking the opportunity to align our company on the same solutions. And so that we can also um, have similar processes in the different jurisdictions where we work and the communities that we serve. And that's fantastic. I mean, it says a lot about your team and about the leadership and your organization and, and the corporate culture that you have. I can tell you just as a, a you know personal experience as we've been reaching out to guests that kind of fit the profile that you fit. Uh, you know, we've targeted companies in a, in a series of industries where we know they have a disproportionate number of frontline workers and things like that. And it's really amazing if you just do a search in LinkedIn for those companies and then change or change management for keywords. It's really mind-boggling to see the difference between certain companies in an industry versus their peers in the exact same industry and how some may have 20, 30, 100 people that have change or change management in their title and others may have none. And that's been a really fascinating observation. Uh, I think just as we've been kind of learning more about your role in the profession to see that some companies are very invested in this and understand that this is a, uh, a true differentiator it, it deals with, you know, talent development. It deals with just operational effectiveness. It deals with all of those things together. And then yet other organizations seem to be making a very little, if any, investment in that area. And so your company sounds like to, to really be a standout, uh, you know, obviously on, on the good end of that scale. So that's, uh, it's really exciting to hear you talk about it. And it, I could just see your body language as you're talking through the story. You have a sense of pride about working in the organization that you do and being in the role that you're in. And that's got to feel good for you. And I can only imagine that the frontline workers that are impacted by probably all the employees, but I'm asking about the frontline employees, how they all really get to benefit from your company's top-down approach in that. And then the great effort that you and your team are putting in. That's pretty neat stuff. Great. Thank you. So we're blowing through time here. I figured this was going to happen. It always seems to go this 45 minutes just goes so fast in this call. Um, but I'd really love to get your take on what you really love most about working in technology and, and around technology and digital transformation initiatives. So I really love working with the people that I do work with. Um, the field, like like I saw before I even worked so closely with them, um, I saw all the, the work that they were doing and was just blown away by, by how much is going on in the field and all the, the, the projects that they're doing and, and also um, the response that they have and, and just um, being able to respond to the communities that they serve um, quickly and safely. I, I've just really loved working with the people. Um, and I would say one of the, the biggest takeaways for, for me and our program as a whole really has been our partnership with not just the business, but also our, our union workforce. Um, that has been huge and being able to 
work closely with them from the start, from the very start at, at the program um, and keeping, keeping them informed, but also making it a real partnership where they're able to give us a few resources to work more closely with. Um, we call them our enhanced user network, um, which is made up of some management and some union employees. Um, and we're able to, to work really closely with them, upskill them, but also they give us their feedback on, you know, maybe if we come up with a scenario and they say that that wouldn't actually happen in the field, like we don't do that every day. It's so good to know that up front before we head into drip fee learning and training. So we learn so much from them and we're able to work really closely with them. We show them the training materials ahead of going into training so that they can provide us feedback. Um, they attend our training dry runs with us so that they can, you know, if the instructor is using any terminology that, that maybe they wouldn't use, they would call something, something different. They're able to provide that feedback ahead of training so that once we get into training, all of our, our learners are better to, are more enabled to have the message resonate with them and be able to learn the solutions rather than getting hung up, hung up on just, um, terminology or, or a process that may have been incomplete if we didn't have our enhanced user network right there with us to help us through the learner journey. What words matter, right? And they do. It, so we've talked about this a lot in terms of um, both training and prototyping solutions and exposing them for feedback. And, you know, when you're in that prototyping phase, whether it's learning content or whether it's actually a new piece of technology, and you have some things that you've just kind of glossed over. Hey, we just need to put a placeholder there. It doesn't really matter that it's accurate because we know as the technology team or the training, you know, learning development team that you're just putting it there as a placeholder. But man, that makes people just, it makes their heads pop off their shoulders, right? They, they cannot look at that prototype and not see the mistakes, right? They just can't look past it for the purposes of, of the communication, right? So um, it's, I think it's great that you get that feedback. You refer to that as an enhanced user group. Did I get that right? Enhanced user network. User yes. network. Okay. And would you essentially say that that's the same as what other folks might call like a change champion network? Is it essentially the same kind of thing? I, I mean, it, it, it sounds very similar, but maybe not being used for the exact same purpose. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very similar. Um, I think it probably would be quite the same. Um, it's just a group that, that we're able to work really closely with for the few months ahead of training and just making sure that you know everything as, as we're laying it out makes sense for them and their role and, and what their teams will experience. And then we also lean on our enhanced user network as well in Postgo Live to help us deliver those messaging. So going back to communications, we're able to you know, have a few people who we can communicate with and know that they'll help spread the word to their peers and their teammates, um, mm -hmm. and also helping to close out any, any questions or just any concerns that their teams may have. Yeah, that's good. I feel like your dog may have had some, some input on that too. Do we need to collect his or her thoughts on, on that question about working in technology or should we just move I on? Think so. Okay. <laughs> we can just move on. I've got one last question for you, and that is kind of the opposite side of that. So you, what you love about working in technology actually has nothing to do with the technology, but it had to do with the people. What, what do you dislike about it? What do you not like about working with technology? It has been, it's been a journey for me working with technology. Um, I've learned that, you know, you, you can't aim for perfection in technology, especially yeah. with um, like digital technology and solutions that we're deploying, I've learned they're never going to be perfect. Um, we have, once we go live, of course, we find defects and um, we build those into what we call our dot releases where we can um, make fixes to any defects and also make enhancements for feedback that we've gotten from the business of things that need to be updated. Um, but that's been a challenge for me is to, to know that, you know, nothing, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and what we're going to be delivering is, is fit for the business and it, and it suits the needs of the business. Um, but, you know, it's, it's difficult to not be able to aim for perfection, <laughs> but um, I think that's, that's been a challenge for me personally in, in just starting to work with technology and, and getting into solutions. Yeah. It's frustrating. 
And, you know, I've been one of those technology providers for a long time that's been building and deploying those solutions. And uh, it is never perfect. And I think a lot of that uh, really comes down to setting expectations. And actually, some of the other folks that we've interviewed here on the podcast have, have mentioned a, a variation of this that they've come to realize they need that to actually be a part of the communication plan with the, the receivers of this technology is to say, listen, I know we're talking about this go live date of November 1st. It's not going to be perfect on November 1st, right? Let's just say that here. So here's the plan. When you do encounter something that doesn't work right, here's how you communicate with us and here's how we'll communicate back, right? And so just incorporating that into the change plan um, to accept the reality that, yeah, we're going to uncover things on day one and for the first few weeks or months of this deployment, um, but we've got to have a communication plan. And if we set the expectation that everything's just going to be honky-dory, we're going to you know fall on our face and it's not going to be good for everybody. So it is right. interesting to hear you talk about that. And that is generally a frustration that um, what we do during the planning phase, you know, the, the goal is to get to this ideal state of, of perfection, like you said, um, but it, it very rarely happens. Right. And I think you said it correctly too, like just setting the right expectation um, goes a long way and just making yeah. sure that you're transparent as a partner and you know, you're going to, you're going to deliver all the news that you have for them and, and what the solution will look like for day one is really important. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. We do need to wrap it up there. Um, I, I do want to invite you now um, to participate. We just recently launched the Frontline Innovators Council, which is a uh, private group that we have set up in LinkedIn with other peers that are doing very similar things across a variety of other industries, although we do have a bunch of other folks that are coming from utilities um, in the group. And so uh, for kind of suffering through with a 45-minute podcast interview with me, uh, that is your fee for entry into uh, the council. And so today you'll get an invitation to participate in that group. Absolutely can't wait to have you as part of the group and um, have you sharing and, and learning from uh, all the other folks there. So uh, welcome to that. And thank you very much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you very much, Justin. This was great. I appreciate Excellent. it. Well, hope the audience has uh, found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thank you so much for today. 